This episode of Remnant Radio is brought to you in part by our sponsors at Kairos Classrooms. Have you ever thought about learning a biblical language as a supplemental tool in your biblical studies? Well, Kairos Classrooms offers real classroom environments with with classmates and a live instructor who can help teach you biblical languages, both Greek and Hebrew. You need to check out Kairos Classrooms today. Uh, The price for a single semester is crazy affordable for anyone, so check out the links in the description and use promo code REMNANT to get 10% off Kairos Classrooms. Check out Kairos Classrooms today. Discount code R-E-M-N-A-N-T, REMNANT, to get 10% off your semester. The video you're about to watch is a production from our ministry. Remnant Radio is a theology broadcast. We broadcast every Monday night, 8.30 p.m. Central Standard Time here on YouTube. Uh, We have different pastors, teachers from different churches and denominations coming on the show to discuss a wide range of theological topics. Many of our guests we agree with and many of our guests we disagree with. But our goal is to understand God's word so that we can then understand the God who has given us his word. Uh, So we hope that you enjoy this conversation. We hope it's been a benefit to you. Uh, If you do enjoy this video and want to continue to help us produce content like this, we'd ask that you go down into the description of the video and donate. There's a, a description link there in the video, and it would help us continue producing content just like this. Be blessed. On this one. Hey guys, uh, Josh Lewis, Remnant Radio. We're talking about uh, uh, the tribulation and eschatology and what would be a more accurate view of the eschatological system. Uh, Those big words. uh, Yeah, in times. I I would like to, though, speak just briefly to maybe some of the trolls out there who are disliking (laughs) the video. This is a first. We had three people dislike the video before it started. (laughs) The video started introing. And I'm like, (laughs) wait a second. Like, this video's got three dislikes. Like, how could you dislike the intro video? You know what, though? I kind of get it. Because, like... Uh, when we talk about end times, it gets so confusing sure. and people get like so heated and mad at each other. And I can imagine maybe the title. maybe some people think that's what this is about. But if yeah. you watch Remnant Radio, you know, that's not what we're we're not about, like, you know, beating each other over the head with the Bible because my view's right. We have people of all different. Pers- you just heard Josh on the intro video say this. And so uh, we actually want to get a pre-trib rapture person come in and, Absolutely. you know, in the, probably the next month and share from the other side. So. so so when we talk about this, we say like, hey, we, we we want to dialogue with different positions. What are tell us some of the interviews that we've had just in the last couple of weeks. Oh man, we've had some great ones. Last week, Matt Chandler, uh, the American gospel yeah. and uh moralistic therapeutic deism, a huge one, and it's getting a lot of traction with people. We also had uh Doug Wilson, uh just really cool. Uh he he explored uh uh post millennialism. Right. Yeah, yeah. Another eschatological perspective in times perspective and uh and really cool i just loved the hope that he brought uh we had somebody else named uh tim ross he's he's kind of local but he has uh, a, a lot of influence here in right. the dallas fort worth area and uh and he shared about the holy spirit man it was just a rich time coming up next week we have uh you're not going to want to miss it's eric metaxas and he wrote an incredible biography on Martin Luther, and it just really helped me understand to greater depth just the Protestant Reformation and what really happened there and what Luther had to go through. Really powerful book. We're going to talk about Martin Luther and Protestantism. And then uh, and then that same week, it's the same week, right? Yeah, next, next week, Frederica Matthews Green, N.T. Wright, Eric Metaxas. Yeah, we got N.T. Wright talking about the new heavens and the new earth. 
And uh, and so it's going to be really powerful. And uh, and Frederica Matthews Green is her, is her second time on the show in the last month. Uh, but so, so many of you were saying, bring her back, bring her back. We we're bringing her back yeah. and it's going to so, be good. So when you guys respond, hey, this is who we want to listen to. We 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 uh, we respond to we, your input. We care about you. We, we do. We like you. Uh, really great stuff. I'm looking forward to today's episode. What you guys don't know is we've actually taped this episode before and uh, we had a technological Remnant Radio had a technological problem. So uh, uh, without further ado, I would love to turn it over to Dr. Craig Keener. Uh, have you introduced yourself and your ministry for those who may be uh, unfamiliar with you? Well, I'm really glad to be on your program today because I understand you only have people back you like, and you'll probably right. never have me back again. Since <laughs> Unlike we really like program, you. Yeah, there's three dislikes. Before even before they could see me here. Oh, so anyway. <laughs> well, hey, we're, we're really excited about today's topic. Uh, but, but like I said, tell us, tell us a little about yourself and your ministry before we dive into this, the subject matter. Sure. Um, I've written about 30 books. Whoa. Uh, nope. <laughs> Which is more books than I've read. You know, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 <You go ahead. laughs> it was a bad joke. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, I, I definitely feel that that gap between education between you and me, though. <laughs> yeah, come on. Uh, yeah. Well, I, one of them is a little cartoon book. But anyway. Okay. Uh, 29 books. Well, then. 29 yeah, and a half. 29 and a half. Um, but most of them are more academic. They're not, I mean, they're specialized for certain area of certain areas of study. Detailed commentaries um, can be used by pastors or scholars or whatever. But then um, just a few more popular level, the, the IVP Bible background commentary is useful for people who just want um, Bible background on a, you know, basic level. You can keep it by your side when you're doing your devotions and you say, huh, what is this passage talking about? Uh, or what? what's this thing about the head coverings? Or what's this thing about, uh, you know, the, the rich dragging the poor to court? Or, you know, di- different settings that you're not familiar with. This can, this can help with that. Um, it's based on a lot of years of just working through ancient literature and, and so on. And then um, there's also the love story of my wife and me, Impossible Love, which... Um, talks about her as a war refugee in um, Congo, where she's from. And that was, yeah, there were some scary times there. But um, th- those are on a, the real basic level. And then from there, they go on up to um, I have a Revelation commentary uh, with the, the NIV application series and um, academic John commentary with um, Baker academic um, four volume Max commentary with Baker Academic. Um, Cambridge published a one volume Max commentary. They just it just came out, and um, Corinthians commentary and Galatians commentary, and anyway stuff like that. Yeah, I know, and and uh, this makes you kind of an authority on this subject. Hope Cruz's phone is not broken. I, that's what that thought was. Um, so I'm curious uh, when we're talking about the subject matter. What is your eschatology? I know last time we had you on the show, you were saying like you know you're kind of undecided uh, as far as the millennium, and I'd love uh, for you to kind of explain where you line up on uh, your eschatology. And I think that's really interesting too for someone who's written so many commentaries and has taught the Bible so faithfully uh, that you are humble enough to say. I'm not sure about some of this. I think that'd be encouraging for our audience before we start getting into the stuff that we 
for sure don't believe in, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so where, where do you line up eschatologically? Yeah, yeah. On the millennium, I mean, I lean, I lean pre-millennial, but I know the arguments for either side. I mean, I can argue it either way, but I, I personally lean pre-millennial, but I also personally recognize I could be personally wrong. But anyway, <laughs> I, can argue, I, can, I know the arguments for either either that or Amil. I'm not post-mill, but and I and I do believe that there will be a turning of the Jewish people at the end. So, um, but coming back to my eschatology, centrally, what I believe is, and this is actually stressed in just about every passage of the New Testament that talks about the Lord coming back. Um, we 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 are looking for Him with hope. We're looking, um, and we should live holy lives. We should live in readiness for his coming. And we're, uh, yeah, that's the, that's the most essential um, focus, focus of it. Okay. So uh, could you talk to us a little bit about the post-tribulational versus pre-tribulational view? And maybe even just in that context, explain what this tribulation even is? Yeah. Oh boy. Uh, no, that's more than one question there. But uh, let, let me start by telling you the way I was trained in it. Uh, Michael Brown and I co-wrote a book on this. Uh, both of us were originally taught the pre-tribulational view that we would be raptured before the tribulation, and of course you can see why that would be popular. I mean, who wouldn't mm-hmm. want to? Be? <laughs> in fact, if we could be raptured before any tribulation, that would be even better. Right. And but raptured no, uh, being just caught up, going into heaven, <laughs> and getting to miss yeah. out on all these seals and trumpets and bowls of wrath being poured out on the earth. Yeah, or, or, or if we could even, yeah, just as soon as we're converted, just go. That would be perfect. <laughs> but anyway, um, no, no. Are you having technical difficulties with the camera? No, uh, nope. Are, are you are you having technical difficulties no, with no, the camera? No, I can see you, but I can't see me. But I guess that's all right. You, oh no, you, no, we're good. We can see you just fine. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad you can see me because I don't know what would happen if if the Lord suddenly came back <laughs> <laughs> and we're left behind. Yeah, oh you, man, I was. I was what a timing of the good. Lord it would be. That would you be know? great. Yeah. <laughs> We're that's, doing a video that's on just like not him. a pre-tribulation rapture, and then suddenly <laughs> half of us are gone. <laughs> okay, see you guys later. <laughs> oh, we just got a soundtrack playing. Oh, no. Is that oh. a trumpet? Hey, oh, no. Dr. Keener's got a trumpet. He's gone. Oh, oh, he's fake Sorry, left behind. All right. Oh, no. Anyway, all right, all right. That's another one. <laughs> But no, I, I, uh, he, goes, he told us before this video started, he goes, I didn't prep. He spent all of his preparation time finding that right trumpet sound so that he yeah, could like yeah, bust yeah. out of here. That's well, funny. I'm not, I'm not a very good musician anyway. But no, uh, um, I was originally taught that we would be raptured before the tribulation. And, you know, I dutifully accepted that along with the other things they taught me. But I, I noticed, you know, all the Bible verses I memorized for this didn't make the same sense as the Bible verses I was learning for other things when I would read them in context. And so there came a time when I started reading like 40 chapters of the Bible a day to get through the New Testament every week or through the Bible once a month. And I began to notice, "Mm, man, all these verses are out of context. And Uh eventually 
I became persuaded, no, this isn't what the Bible's teaching, that, you know, if you just read the Bible by itself, the rapture and the second coming are both the same event. There's no, there's no distinction that's explicit in any text. And if you hadn't been taught that there's a distinction, you would just assume they're the same thing. And so uh, a guest evangelist uh, who was visiting the church, you know, my pastor was, he was pre-tribulational, but he didn't, he didn't mind. So he, but the, but the guest evangelist, this was his big thing. So he took me aside and very patiently for, for a few hours was taking me through all the, the verses he used to prove that the rapture would be before the tribulation. And one by one, I, I would say, well, let's look at these verses. We'd look at them in context, and none of them actually said that. Um, in fact, you know, all the texts about he can come at any moment or something like that, you know, the thief in the night, all those texts, if the context specified any time at all, it was always at the end of the age when every eye would see him, when, you know, the, the wicked would be judged. It was never before a tribulation. And so, you know, but he, he finally concluded by saying, look, who do you think you are? I mean, you were converted from a completely non-Christian background just a few years ago. But all men of God. Jim Baker, Jimmy Swagger, this was like 1976. Uh, Jim Baker has since changed his view, but all men of God, he said, are, are pre-tribulational. And so I, uh, I said, you know, you're right. I, I, I can't disagree with all men of God. So even though I don't see it in the text, I will believe what you said. But it was really hard for me. It was like, man, this is so confusing. You have to split verses in the middle and so on to make them come out this way. And then finally, I was uh, visiting another congregation, Haimo Christian Center in Canton, Ohio, where the, the pastor was teaching on this. Um, he had studied with Walter, Walter Martin and some other people. And he said, no, uh, you guys may think I'm crazy, but let me just tell you uh, this is, I'm going to talk about the rapture. And I was like, oh, no, here we go again. He said, nobody in all of church history up until 1830 believed that there would be a rapture before the tribulation. And, you know, so Jim Baker, uh, sorry, Jim Baker, uh, <laughs> uh, he said, um, Martin Luther, uh, John Wesley, uh, Augustine, none of them. I mean, they held different views in the millennium, uh, some of them, but none of them believed that there would be a rapture before the tribulation. Okay, now I better explain what I mean by rapture before the tribulation, because uh, that was one of the other questions you asked. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, great. Okay. okay, so there are different views about what the tribulation in the Bible means, but normally when people talk about a pre-tribulational view, they're talking, uh, or a mid-tribulational view, they're talking about a rapture that comes either seven years or three and a half years before the end of the age. And that comes from, you go back to the book of Daniel, it speaks of um, um, 70 periods of seven years, and it speaks of the, the final, uh, after an abomination of desolation, a, a desecration of, of the temple, there's going to be three and a half years, and uh, time times and half a time, or 42 months, it's, it's called a few different things. Uh -huh. uh, and then in the New Testament, it revisits that 
And in Revelation, if you add up all the three and a half year periods, it comes out to like 10 and a half years. Probably they're all the same thing. It's probably just three and a half years. But um, if you take it literally in all the passages, then that's uh, considered a period of great tribulation. That's uh-huh. uh, three and a half years long. Or, you know, if you add two of them together, it's seven years long. And then uh, many people have said, especially since 1830, that's it began to get popular then, especially popular in the early 20th century. Um, the, the view that, that that was just for Israel and God can't deal with Israel and the church at the same time. Of course, since 1948, people usually don't put it that way. But uh, God would therefore rapture the church before that period. Mm-hmm. But okay. if you if you look elsewhere, I mean, if you look in the New Testament in terms of, of being, you know, if we're speaking in terms of, of that period, you have God's people being resurrected when the last enemy, death, is subdued. You can't really have a, a, late, a later enemy than death. Uh, so you can't have an antichrist afterwards. Mm-hmm. We're resurrected also at the last trumpet, Paul uh-huh. says. You can't be having trumpets after the last one. Um, on the premillennial view, we're resurrected at the first resurrection, which includes those who've been martyred during the Great Tribulation in Revelation 20. You don't have any expression of a, of a catching up or resurrection of saints together in Revelation until you get there to that point, or any description of Christ's coming except the you know, introductory chapter 1 and verse 7. Uh, where you know it says every eye will see him, and it's talking about a future coming. You you have uh, a lot of texts that talk about his imminent return. You know we're, we're to be looking for, we're to be ready for his return. But in context, I mean it's the end of the age. So Second Peter chapter three, the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night, in which the heavens pass away with a great noise, and the elements melt with fervent heat. And mm. I, I, I could keep on going. Uh, it was Second Thessalonians uh, chapter one. We will receive rest from our tribulation. Uh, at the same time, the, the order of the Greek says, at the same time that the wicked are judged, we'll receive rest from our tribulation. When the Lord comes with his mighty angels and flaming fire, dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. And then he goes on in chapter two, to speak of his coming and our gathering together to him. And again, in Greek, it's probably tying those together, uh, that that won't happen until uh, the man of lawlessness appears and uh, the, the falling away happens. So, so the man of... Oh, yeah, go, go ahead. This would be a good question, uh, uh, I think, in, in this line here. Uh, when you're talking about the return of Christ and the rapture of the church. There is a word used in the Latin Vulgate for the catching up. Uh, that is the word raptured, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. But you don't see that being a separate event from the second coming. Right. So a pre-tribulation rapture teaches that there is a secret rapture. Your 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 voice just went off. Your sound went off. Sorry. Okay. <laughs> this this cable will be switched out before our evening show because it's the second <laughs> time it's done that. It's frustrating. 
Um, so, so there is a, in the pre-tribulation rapture position, the church secretly gets raptured up into heaven and then Christ comes down at a later time to defeat his enemies and the, and the church comes down with him at that time. Uh, right. your position is that, yes, there is a catching up church. Yeah. You, you, you went out again. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. My, yeah. First Thessalonians says we'll be caught up to meet him in the air. We'll be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Um, but the context of First Thessalonians 4, all the things that it says in that in that uh, passage, and going on into chapter 5, are, uh -huh. are, are the things that you have in Matthew chapter 24, talking about Jesus coming. And the only coming that's mentioned in Matthew 24 is after the days of that tribulation. When he comes, he gathers together his chosen ones. Uh, it comes with the clouds in both, sound of a trumpet in both. Uh, there's the angel or angels in both. Um, in, uh, of course, Second Thessalonians, the, the man of lawlessness probably corresponds to the uh, desolating, well, in, in the temple, corresponds to the desolating sacrilege. Uh, in Matthew 24, 15, Mark 13, 14, um, you have, um, uh, oh, oh, and also the First uh, Thessalonians 4 is also more uh, explicit in terms of, you know, the, this hope of when we're caught up to meet him in the air, it'll be with the sound of a trumpet, which Paul elsewhere says is the last trumpet, um, again, after the days of the tribulation, Matthew 24. And he says that when that happens, uh, he'll also descend with a loud shout. In ancient literature, usually when you have a shout conjoined with a trumpet, it's it's a war cry. So this is preparing for the last battle. Uh, also going on into, into uh, chapter 5 where he speaks of uh, the day of the Lord comes like a thief in the night, but you're not in darkness that you should be overtaken. In other words, you should be ready for this. But, huh. but coming like a thief in the night, Jesus says that again in the context of a second coming. Some people say, well, but uh, in, in 1 Thessalonians, it doesn't say he touches down in the earth. Uh, I'm not sure he actually says that in Matthew 24 either. But, um, but, the, but the, I mean, there's so many correspondences between the two, which is, you know, one of the arguments that those of us who defend the reliability of, of the Gospels, we say, look, you know, here is one of Paul's earliest letters. And it confirms that these teachings were already in circulation well before the Gospels were written. Anyway, yes, I believe in one second coming, one hope. Makes it a whole lot less complicated. You don't need experts to interpret it for you. Just we're looking for Jesus to come back. And when he comes back, it's what's called an, an epiphania, an appearance, huh. a glorious appearance. Uh, and, and yeah, through, okay. throughout. So, yeah, so the... Uh the shout that you mentioned, I hadn't heard that before. So that's a, that's a battle cry. And it, and it seems, and I, the reason I ask is I think the relevance for you in this is that when Jesus returns in the second coming, um, that's, uh, that's tied into Armageddon, like revelation 19. And, and it, is that kind of why you shared that? Or am I, I'm sorry, I'm trying to read your mind, I suppose. <laughs> um, but the reason I ask is, uh, is I've heard pre-tribber, uh, pre-tribulational uh, folks, I've heard them say, hey, there's no mention of Armageddon here. There's no mention of a final battle. It just seems like, hey, we just get caught up into the air with the Lord and we're together with him. So 
Uh, it seems like those who believe in a post-tribulational rapture uh, are uh, are missing what this text is about, that this really is just a rapture. It's not the second coming because there's no Armageddon tied to it. But what um, I hear you saying is, well, hey, this is a battle cry. Yeah, there's a classic um, name for that kind of argument. It's called an argument from silence. <laughs> you don't have every detail in every passage, but we sure have correspondence of a lot of details. Mm-hmm. And and we don't have any passage that um, mentions the church being taken out before the tribulation. Not yeah. a single passage explicitly says that. And you can say, well, that's that you're arguing from silence just because there's no passage that says that. Well, that can be true in a sense. The problem is that if you would you admit that there's that silence, then you have to also recognize that you're definitely arguing from silence that there is such a, a catching up before the tribulation, and you have to admit that you have no biblical evidence for it. Right. Okay. So um, let's imagine that. Uh, let's say I want to argue for the pre-tribulational rapture, and I say, well, hey, when Jesus came the first time, it's not like there was like this whole contingent of people saying, hey, our Messiah is going to come twice, first in mercy and then later in judgment. And and a lot of these prophecies would seem to kind of merge them together, uh, the first and the second coming of Christ. I mean, take Isaiah chapter 11. It talks about Jesus being this sort of stump of Jesse and the spirit of the Lord is upon him. And uh, and, it, and it speaks of just seeming like his earthly ministry, but then it flows straight into what occurs at his second coming and the lion and the lamb will lay down next to each other. And like, it's going to be this unprecedented peace and all of this. Mm-hmm. And so I can imagine somebody saying, well, Hey, this is just the way biblical prophecy works. It's not necessarily crystal clear. And sometimes they can merge together distant uh, occurrences in history within a single prophetic statement. And uh, and so that's just what's happening here. So how would you respond to that? Well, that's actually an argument that, w- that can be used in support of a premillennial coming. Um, but in terms of a pre-tribulational coming, at least with the millennium, you've got one passage. You've got Revelation mm-hmm. chapter 20. But regarding the tribulation, there's not a single passage that says he's coming before the tribulation. So you can say, well, maybe it'll happen. We don't have any biblical evidence for it, but maybe it will happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you can say that, well, maybe there'll be six or seven raptures. <laughs> How do we know that there will be? I mean, it's 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 a speculation that mm-hmm. people say, okay, well, this this we believe this, but why do you believe it if there's not a single text that actually says that? And and the texts that are used for it, I mean, like First Thessalonians one ten and five nine, um, the church will not go through the wrath of God. I agree, the church will not go through the wrath of God. But what does that mean? That the church will not mm-hmm. go through the wrath of God. First Thessalonians one ten and five nine. I mean, it's pretty much the same language as you have in Romans five nine, which everybody applies to salvation. Uh, we we are not destined for wrath, but for salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, um, what the wrath was saved from, if you look pretty much everywhere in Paul's writings, um, I mean, occasionally he'll speak of God's present wrath, and you have that in the Old Testament too, but especially the wrath of the second coming. Mm -hmm. So hellfire type wrath. We won't go through that kind of wrath. But what, what people will sometimes do, they'll say, well, no, 
This isn't referring to the wrath Paul means elsewhere. This is referring to the wrath in the book of tribulation, uh, sorry, the book of Revelation, which is referring to the great tribulation. The problem with that argument is, first of all, the original audience of 1 Thessalonians could not flip over to the book of Revelation to see what Paul meant. Secondly, <laughs> it hadn't been written yet. I mean, one of mm. Paul's first letters to the last, probably the last book of the New Testament. But uh, they couldn't flip over to, to Revelation to see what he meant. Second, if they could, usually in the book of Revelation, wrath refers to the judgment of the second coming, not to the tribulation. And finally, if you're going to use the same Greek word that Paul used, orge, rather than thumos, that always refers to judgment at the second coming in the book of Revelation, never refers to the tribulation. Um, the, the one passage, uh, you know, and if you, if you say, well, thumos, we're going to use thumos instead of Paul's word, even there, half those references refer to the judgment of the end. So, um, so you're saying that the Greek word in Second Thessalonians one for wrath always refer, or First Thessalonians, which anyway, yeah, okay, that it's always used to speak of second coming wrath. It's never used to speak of something like tribulational or earthly wrath, is what you're saying. Yeah, uh, in the Book of Revelation, right? In the Book of Revelation, okay. Yeah. In, in Paul's in Paul's usage. There's even less reason to think it's the, it's right. the tribulation. So you, okay. you've said a couple times that there's no text in the New Testament where it talks about a rapture where people are being caught up. What about the frequent text that's being used, uh, Matthew 24, talking about the two men that are out in the field and then one is taken? Uh, how do you it, interpret that, that text? It tells you where they'll be taken. <laughs> one will be taken and the other will be left. And it's in the context where it talks about in the days of Noah, um, a few were saved. The rest were taken to judgment. Mm. And, and, and lest you think I'm, I'm doing too much with context there, I mean, in Luke chapter 17, you have the same, the same phrase where Jesus says, one will be taken and another will be left. And the disciples specifically ask for clarification. They say, where, Lord? Jesus says, wherever the corpse is, that's where the vultures will gather. That's not the rapture. Doesn't sound like heaven to me. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, well, speaking of, <laughs> speaking of vultures. I was going to say speaking of arguments from silence. No. So <laughs> but no. we are typically very, very kind to people that we disagree with. We're very gracious and we would have a pre-trip person on here in a heartbeat. We totally would. But th one of the things that, that, that we've, we're talking about here is just I have such a hard time with this one because it's a it's a modern, like he said before 1830, no one held this position. Like you have to like have these ridiculous maps drawn out and like have lengthy teachers with PhDs to explain yeah. it to you. Like it's uh, personally, I have I have leanings in certain directions on end time stuff, but I I really this one. Well, I just don't know what I believe honestly. Sure. I, I I do not lean toward a pre-trib rapture, but I lean like historic pre-mel, but like. I'm not tempted yeah. by. Yeah. I, we're with you, Dr. Keener. We're looking, we're just looking for his return. And yeah, hopeful. for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I, I, I do think this, this is worth answering because I, I hear this so often. Hey, the church is mentioned. I can't remember something like 47 times in revelation one through three. And then in chapters four through, you know, 19 or 18, 
uh, it's not mentioned at all. And so what is the explanation for this gap? Well, it's interesting in that he's addressing seven churches in Asia Minor. That's where most of the references to the churches are in Mm -hmm. the uh, chapters one, two, three. You don't have the church mentioned on earth in the what we call the might call the tribulation chapters. Uh Neither do you have it mentioned in heaven. So does that mean the church got annihilated? You say, well, there's saints in heaven. There's saints on earth, too. And the only way it mentions saints getting to heaven in those chapters is that they died. They got martyred. It, it doesn't mention them being raptured to heaven. And so it, that has to be read into the text. Uh, people say, well, you know, Revelation 4.1, uh, the voice of a trumpet, come up here. Um, the come up here is also said to John a couple other times in the book of Revelation. The voice of a trumpet is in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, uh, where, where he hears a voice behind him on the Lord's Day, and a trumpet. Um, so, I mean, Revelation 4, it's not speaking to the church. It's speaking to John, inviting him to have visions of what's going on in heaven. So, it, it, again, Revelation, you see saints being persecuted on earth, saints bearing witness for Jesus on earth, and then the saints being resurrected at the first resurrection in chapter 20, again, this is on the premillennial view. Um, of course, the amillennial view is, yeah, that would, we should say that for another time because that will take more. Yeah, so explain. just to, to pick up where, where you're, you you had said like uh, anyone who gets to heaven in, in the book of Revelation seems to like they've gotten there by the 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 violence of the the sword right like they've been they have been sent there by the enemy uh, but I'm it, curious any specification how, yeah yeah I'm, I'm curious how uh, you understand or interpret Revelation chapter three ten this is a text that frequently is used to say hey we're not actually going to be enduring that trial and and Christ is going to keep us because you have kept His word you're gonna, He's going to keep you from yeah. the hour of trial uh, what, what would you do with Revelation three ten yeah actually that's one of the better ones. Uh, if if I were pre-trib, I would appeal to that. The problem is the context of the rest of the book of Revelation is God protecting people from his judgments. Revelation 7, you know, he seals people, protects them, and so on. But in terms of taking out, we don't see that in Revelation. So what does he mean, I'll keep you from this hour of testing? The same words appear together only one other place in the New Testament which also happens to be Jesus speaking and John recording. That's in John chapter 17, verse 15. Uh, the, the Greek words are tereoek, keep you from. And in John 17, 15, Jesus says, Father, I pray not that you would take them out of the world, but rather that you would keep them from the evil one. So specifically, keep from there does not mean take out of. It means protect from while mm-hmm. you're there. And that's what we see in the book of Revelation. Okay. Uh, I just have a practical question. So uh, in your view, the second coming occurs. We're caught up in the sky, in the clouds with Jesus, and there's a gazillion angels and saints, and you know we're high-fiving St. Paul up in the sky. But then like 17 seconds later, we're on the earth. So, I mean, is this like 
you know, a Six Flags ride. Like, like, like what is what is that about? Like, that's so weird, right? Just we're going up and we're going down. Whereas, you know, a pre-trib rapture person says, hey, it kind of makes sense. We go up, we stay up there for seven years, then we come back down. Why? Why the yo-yo? So what well, would you, what it's just kind of a practical question. What, what goes up must come down, right? You know, uh, <laughs> I and, love and, it. You know, when in antiquity and <laughs> using the Greek language, they spoke of different levels of heaven mm-hmm. and a higher level was ether. Air is a lower level. We are gathered to meet him in the air. Hmm. Uh, so it's not in the, the highest heaven. We meet him on his way down. In fact, the wording that's used normally means that. Uh, doesn't always mean that, but that's the you know, what it means everywhere else in the New Testament, where it says, uh, uh, you know, we'll meet the Lord, so shall we ever be with him. The uh, It's the Greek word apentesis for meeting. And normally it means you're meeting somebody on their way. So mm-hmm. if, a, if a king or a dignitary was coming to a city, uh, and this, the, a word that was often used for that was a parousia mm-hmm. uh, for their visit, which is a word that is translated often, coming, correct? Like the coming uh, of the Lord, right? Paul's coming, yeah. It, it can have other translations in other contexts, mm-hmm. but um, if there's a parousia, then going out to meet him, uh, the apentasis means we become his escort on the rest of his way. Mm-hmm. He doesn't He doesn't meet us halfway and then turn around and go back to heaven. We meet him on his way down. When the kingdom of this world becomes the kingdom of our God and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. It's yeah. it's not it's not a secret rapture. It's not something that, you know, nobody nobody recognizes when it happens. When he comes, that's the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, Titus says. Every eye will see him. He's going to judge the nations. We will be publicly vindicated. Second Thessalonians chapter chapter one, this will happen when he comes to be glorified in his saints on that day. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So uh, a slight shift here. I want to come back to something we were talking about a little bit earlier. You went into Daniel chapter nine. And and as you were talking about that, uh, you, you touched on a hermeneutic principle. That is, uh, you know, do we interpret these texts to Israel in the Old Testament as though, hey, this is only to Israel. For instance, Daniel chapter 9, Daniel is told, hey, these uh, this, these words, the words of this prophecy pertain to you and your people. Or take uh, Jeremiah chapter 30. Uh, it, it talks about a time of Jacob's trouble, which uh, most people understand to be the time of great tribulation. And so the fact that that tribulation is applied to Jacob and uh, and in da- chapters like Daniel chapter nine seems to apply to Israel, a person, a pre-trib rapture person. What's really behind all of this is the interpretive principle that like, hey, what was said to Israel was for Israel. What's said to the church is for the church. And we need to maintain these distinctions. You know, of course, what we call dispensationalism. So. Uh, can you speak into that and, and maybe why you don't necessarily believe that's how we should understand these words about the tribulation? And maybe I'll just make it specifically uh, just to to narrow this question, uh, maybe in the context of Jeremiah chapter 30 and Jacob's trouble. Why should we not understand that as just an Israel thing? 
Yeah, I'd probably defer that to, to Michael Brown, uh, <laughs> the other author, because he's worked worked in that more. He's the Old Testament scholar. Okay. But, you know, in Daniel chapter 12, it does say that Daniel, uh, you know, go your way, you'll be resurrected at the end of the days that he's been talking about. He talks about a period of great tribulation. Mm-hmm. Daniel explicitly is is to expect getting resurrected at the end of the tribulation. So uh-huh. some people say, well, the Old Testament saints get resurrected at the end. But we get raptured at the beginning. I, I don't think that works. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and in terms of dispensationalism, uh, John John Walvoord, who was the president years ago of, of uh-huh. Dallas Theological Seminary, did say that you can't come up with, you, you can't defend pre-tribulationalism without the system of dispensationalism. And of course, that's where it originated with, uh, or at least was popularized. Uh, John Nelson Darby in 1830 uh, held a very strict form of dispensationalism. God does not deal with the church and with Israel at the same time. So if he's going to deal with Israel at the end, he has to take the church out. Um, But again, like since 1948, who's going to say that God can't deal with the church and Israel at the same time? Um, Now, I should also say that progressive dispensationalism is different from John Nelson Darby's dispensationalism. I think it's moved in a very solid direction. I have great friends who are progressive dispensationalists. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I can you just can you give us like a quick little uh, distinction between those two? What is a dispensationalist? What's a uh, progressive one? <laughs> Pro- progressive dispensationalists, I think, would be more more likely to realize, okay, yeah, God has a future for Israel. That's dispensational, but. We also recognize that, you know, spiritual believers, uh, believers in Christ, I I think they would say, certainly I would say that we're grafted in to the heritage of Israel. So we can, you know, we can sing Father Abraham as many, sorry about my my song voice. (laughs) Hey, we've already had you imitate the rapture once and now we get a song. I feel so privileged, Dr. Keener. (laughs) We need anyway, one more wild antic before the show is over. Theology show like this, this one, I'm telling you. <laughs> you you've got only on Remnant Radio, people. Dr. Keener, you have 20 more minutes in this show to have one more wild antic. We, <laughs> we're kind of separating it into thirds. I, I've got a question. Times, times and a for from Liberty and Just Times, time, time and a half. It's hilarious. <laughs> do you, do you want me to finish the? because yeah, what I would say is the believers are grafted in. Okay, and so. When it talks about, I mean, it uses language all over the place in the New Testament. Even in Revelation 7, 9 through 17, it specifically says uh, God's people from every kindred and tribe and people and nation. And then it applies to them, passages directly applies to them, Isaiah 49, 10, uh, Isaiah chapter 25. He will wipe away every tear from from their eyes. Uh, He will lead them to springs of living water. I mean, these are these are passages about Israel applied to people from every kindred and tribe and people and nation. Uh, you know, I mean, how many of you plan to be in the New Jerusalem? That's for New Jerusalemites. I just raised my hand, but they couldn't see it. Okay, there, there's so much. I mean, I, I could go all through the New Testament and show you things like this, but just uh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. So uh, one of one of our uh, pre-tribulation brothers uh, who who believes that the tribulation takes place or the, the rapture takes before uh, the tribulation, uh, his name is Liberty and Justice. I say his name 
very well him or her they uh, have the question because i don't i don't have genders here on youtube uh <laughs> and it doesn't say mike so i'm just assuming they uh they, they asked the question about revelation chapter 20 verse 4 it says that these are only the the saints who have been beheaded during the tribulation these are those who have died during what is your answer for why all of the saints throughout history aren't present it does call it the first resurrection mm-hmm. so if the other saints are going to get resurrected they're going to have to get resurrected at that time because mm-hmm. he specifies it's the first resurrection. So, so you're, you're, you would say that, Hey, it mentions that those who have been beheaded, but that's not necessary. Uh, that's not necessarily saying it's only those who died during the tribulation because at the first resurrection, that should be everyone. Is that your, well, is that your part, part of this goes back to what the revelation, uh, what the tribulation means in the book of revelation, mm. which will get more complicated. I mean, um, with just context, pretty easily we can see, you know, all the passages about about being resurrected, all the passages about meeting the Lord. If the context specifies anything about it, it's um, it's you know after it, it's at the very end. But in terms of what the tribulation means in Revelation, that's more disputable. Revelation chapter twelve speaks of one thousand two hundred sixty days. Does it mean the same thing as in Daniel? Because what you have in Daniel 11 seems like it was fulfilled in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes around Mm -hmm. 65 BC, according to the sequence of events. What you have in Daniel chapter 9 looks to me more like it happened in the year 70. Well, the, the anointed prince being cut off, I take that if we take it to be the Messiah, which is what I think it means, you know, Anyway, the first century, 30 and then 70 uh-huh. for the other part. But then you've got it associated with the resurrection of the dead in chapter 12 of Daniel. So are they all talking about the same thing? Or is this something that keeps repeating uh, in different ways through history? Just like we had to film this twice. Um, in- <laughs> that was, that was a, subtle, a subtle job. For, that was for those of you who don't know, we did film this twice. Yeah, we- the, this is the second take. Our first one, we, we just taped it. And uh, audio is corrupt, so. Yeah, sorry. But here we are live, and yeah. aren't you glad? Well, you aren't can you still use the, the video from the first one, and then just the uh, the audio the, is corrupt. The sound from this one, anyway, no. But um, Second Thessalonians two does seem to speak of a future man of lawlessness. So it's like, mm-hmm. uh, or, or First John two eighteen says, "You've heard that an antichrist is coming. Even now, there are many antichrists." Uh-huh. It, it's something that keeps happening as long as the spirit of evil is in the world. The climactic one is gonna is gonna be like the worst, which is really hard to believe after Hitler. But anyway, um, but in any case, Revelation chapter twelve it speaks of the the child who might uh-huh. take to be Jesus being caught up to God into His throne, uh, and then the woman flees into the wilderness. This is verses five and six. The woman flees into the wilderness for a period of one thousand two hundred sixty days. Now. There's a couple ways we can look at that. One is that from Jesus being caught up until this period just before the end, it's uh, the time clock is stopped. That's that's what some people argue. Uh-huh. The other possibility is that he's using, like he uses a lot of Old Testament, reuses a lot of Old Testament imagery symbolically in Revelation um, to to make a theological point. The lion becomes the lamb. And, and so on. Um, well, 
which isn't to say he's not a lion, but to say he's also a lamb. In in Revelation chapter 12, he may be using the the period of great tribulation, not to say there's not a future tribulation, but using it as a prism for the whole course of the age between the first and the second coming. Mm. Uh, to to say that the whole course of this age is of the same quality as as the final tribulation is if to say in this world you'll have tribulation but be of good courage i've overcome the world um now there's uh and that would fit revelation being written after 70 because um when jesus speaks of uh what's in, uh the abomination of desolation let the reader understand in matthew 24:15 he also speaks of things being fulfilled within a generation. I think he's speaking of the destruction of the temple that took place then. Now, again, it can happen again. But if it happened then, then Revelation can be reusing the number and not meaning the same thing, the same exact period of Antiochus Epiphanes, the same exact period that Jesus spoke of from 66 to 70, and and so on but that's that's a whole other can of worms yeah so it seems like so you take the 1260 days or 42 months or time time and a half time or three and a half years however the scripture words it um you take it as symbolic when it's reused and picked up in the new testament of what daniel was talking about when daniel used it uh speaking of uh, Antiochus. Antiochus Epiphanes. Uh, is, is that what you're saying? Yeah, in Revelation 12, I do. Yeah, uh, in Revelation I, 12. I do think there is a final intensification. Okay. So that, again, that will last three and a half years? Not really You've sure. You've written 29 and a half books. You have to know this. Because <laughs> 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 Unless the days would be shortened, no, no, one, no one would survive. And since he says the days would be shortened, I'm thinking he may mean the days, so it may not be yeah, a full. Yeah, I've, you know, I've read in some of the church fathers that they, uh, that, and I, I wish I could quote like which one or ones said this, but that some of them thought, hey, we think it's going to last three and a half years, but we think it might be actually shorter than that because Jesus says it could yeah. be shortened for the sake of elect, the elect or whatever the wording is. Yeah. The, the church fathers held held various views on some things. Uh, in the second century, Papias, Justin Martyr, and Irenaeus all believed in a future thousand years. Uh-huh. But they, they believed, uh, well, actually, Justin Martyr said that there were people who disagreed with that. It wasn't a, a fighting issue. Um, but after that, the, the amillennial view dominated through a lot of church history. Uh-huh. But the church fathers until Constantine pretty much all believed that either they were in the Great Tribulation or they were about to go through it. Now, after Constantine, you had people saying, no, we're, we're in the millennium now. <laughs> uh, but, right. yeah. No, I'm, 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 I'm interested in, I'm, I'm seeing these comments coming in. When, when we talk about the pre-tribulation rapture, uh, I'd love to go, I know we've only got like 10 minutes left here, but to go back to the very beginning, where did this thing come from? Okay, so if if uh, this is a, a new 1830 
Um, uh, uh, it was put in the with the, the Schofield Study Bible. Yeah, it was popularized so, that way. How is it that this pre-tribulation rapture has not only uh, come on the scene relatively recently, but has such a strong uh, impact in the West? Like, I don't know of any Western church that doesn't have to wrestle with this. But if I go over to Middle East, if I go over to China, if I go over to the Coptic church and I ask them about the pre-tribulation rapture, they just laugh like, you know, you've yeah. never been persecuted. Um, uh, but but t- explain to me how the West has so taken this. How is it that this is, has grown so quickly? Yeah, I was actually at a mission headquarters when uh, China came open in the in the 1980s, late 1980s, after Mao's purges, and and some missionaries went back there, and and we heard the report from them that when they when they went there, the the Chinese Christians said, you know, we don't really need your help now. Uh, when when you left in, in around 1948, when you left, we thought you'd all been raptured, and we've been left to go through the Great Tribulation on our own. <laughs> They've been mistaught. Uh, but in any case, um, now there's some people who say that there were there were some people in history who distinguished between uh, like two stages of the second coming uh, before 1830, but not very many. It's not very well documented. And some of the ones that they say clearly were not saying that. Uh, mm-hmm. In fact, some of the, some of the references are pretty much like what you have in the New Testament. It's just like he's coming like a thief in the night, whatever. But uh, but in 1830, you have it articulated clearly by John Nelson Darby. Now, some people say he got it from a vision from Margaret MacDonald. I've read her vision, and I don't think it clearly articulates a pre-tribulational rapture. So I think it was just Darby with his his dispensational idea, um, but not yeah the, the really radical dispensational idea. Um, the, the there, there are some people who are so radical with their dispensationalism that only the prison epistles are for the church. You know, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. I love those epistles, but you know, that's really extreme. They'll say that that um, the Lord's Supper is not for the church because it's not in those those letters. But Darby was fairly extreme, and the Sermon on the Mount's not for believers. All this stuff's not for believers. And of course, I think all dispensationalists today would say you can you can draw principles from those texts. Even though I haven't said it enough before, I do want to say we're, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. So uh-huh. this is not like an attack. For sure. It's a yeah. friendly, you know, we, we banter back and forth in a friendly way. Absolutely. Right. Yeah. Uh, we have a question. This is from uh, Danny Guillaume, maybe. <laughs> good, um, good try. Yeah. Okay. Uh, please ask Dr. Keener if he's a partial preterist or amillennial. I just want to be clear. So um, I, I think just kind of going off the fact that maybe uh, that you interpret the uh, the length of the tribulation uh, as it's portrayed in Revelation chapter 12 to possibly be more symbolic. Are you willing to extend the symbolism in Revelation into the different plagues that are poured out that this was just... Well, you know, the water didn't, is not really going to turn to blood. This or is, even the way that he articulated the partial fulfillment of Antiochus. Or the, the partial, fo- like all of that. So yeah. how symbolically are we willing to interpret Revelation? How preterist are you? That's actually not the preterist approach. Um, okay. And again, On a scale of one to heretic. Yeah. <laughs> the, the preterists. I you mean, know what? I, You're right. That, I, I misspoke. Um, I, but I um, 
who are uh, preterist in the sense of like um, uh, yeah anyway a number who are preterist who say a lot was fulfilled in 70 but they still believe in the future coming they still believe in the future resurrection of the dead but there are people who say even that's already fulfilled and so these partial preterists call those preterists heretics right which I think is true. I mean, yes. I don't know any other way to say it. Yeah. Because if you don't believe, if you believe the second coming already happened, yeah. that is heresy. There's literally a Bible yeah. verse for you guys. Second Thessalonians 2 talks about it. Second, second Timothy chapter 2, those who say the dead, the resurrection of the dead has already passed. I mean, that's that's extreme. Yeah. Uh, that, that things were fulfilled in 70. Um, but you can believe that and still believe it's it's a type of something yet to come. I think a lot mm-hmm. of dispensationalists would say that. Yeah. I mean, I shouldn't be speaking for them. But uh, in terms of revelation, the plagues and so on, um, the images of the seals and the trumpets come from the book of Exodus. Oh, and in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 8, it, it speaks of judgment on the on the great city, which elsewhere is called Babylon in the book of Revelation. But in 11.8, it's called Sodom and Egypt and where our Lord was crucified. Uh Well, geographically, that doesn't work. Babylon, Sodom, Egypt, and Jerusalem are not the same place. So when you speak of, well, why why the name Egypt? That's where the the plagues came. We're, We're not speaking of literally these being the same plagues that happened on Egypt in Moses's day. But we're we're saying these are the kinds of judgments that came in Moses's day. But okay. anyway, that's that's all aside from the issue of pre-trib and post-trib. That's that's a that's, different question about how we interpret Revelation. Well, and, we we have interested viewers who who want to they want to learn it all. So, uh, yeah. hey, I'm just we're kind of scattershot here. Uh, another question I want to ask you: um, Why would Jesus prepare a place for us in heaven and then not take us there? So this uh, this is a reference to John chapter fourteen. I have a place prepared for you, etc. Um, so I, I want to give you that question, but first we're gonna play an ad, and then we'll come back and have you answer okay. that question. Okay. Hey guys, the song you're listening to right now is from Stone Bridge Worship. Now, Stonebridge is sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio, and last week they sent us a Dropbox link to this full album. And I'm telling you, this album is awesome. It's edifying. The quality is spot on. And if you haven't checked out Stonebridge Worship, just go over to your Spotify channel and type in Worthy Is Jesus. That's the song you're listening to right now. Uh, the song is amazing. Uh, and, if, and if you don't have Spotify, man, go check out their YouTube video link. I put it in the description of this video at the bottom. You can watch the full music video that you're watching right now. And another man, big thank you to Stonebridge Worship and sponsoring this episode of Remnant Radio. Oh, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you were worshiping. We're still here. That's good. All right. So um, why would Jesus yeah. prepare a place for us in heaven and then not take us there? I, I almost didn't even deal with that in the in the book because I thought the answer was fairly obvious. And then I realized, no, some people use that text. But I just had... By the time by the time I realized that I didn't have much space left to talk about it in the book, but um, in 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 the context of that passage, Jesus says, "I'm going to." 
prepare a place for you. I'll take you to be with me where I am. And so the issue is we're going to be with him where he is. Now, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. That Greek term, monet, is used only one other place in the entire New Testament. And that happens to be later on in the same chapter in 1423, where he says, the spirit will come and I and the Father, by means of the Spirit, will come and make our dwelling place, our monet, within you. The verb form of it is used, meno, throughout the context. He will dwell in us and we in him. As to what the Father's house is in that context, um, there's nothing that leads us to believe that he's talking about heaven. In fact, the other two references to the Father's house in the Gospel of John, one is in 2.16 or so, uh, that's referring to the temple, uh, and the other is in, I think, 835, the Father's household. What the Father's house means in the Father's presence, and how do we get into the Father's presence? Is this a second coming verse? And uh, You already know I believe in the second coming, but the question is, what is this verse talking about in context? Well, his disciples didn't originally know either. They said, uh, you know, Jesus says, where I'm going, you know, and the way, you know. And, they, and one of them said, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? And Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, is that a second coming verse? That's a salvation verse. Mm -hmm. And if that's a salvation verse answering the context, what does it mean? How do we come to the Father through Jesus? When when we come to the Father in salvation, we come through Jesus. He's the only way, right? So when he says, in my Father's house are many dwelling places, where are you going? I'm going to the Father. How will we get there? Through Jesus, the way. Hmm. When we are converted, he comes and makes his dwelling place within us. 1423. That's what the whole context is talking about. Hmm. It's not even talking about the second coming. And it's certainly not talking about heaven. Now, Having said that, I'm sure that our dwelling places in heaven will be absolutely wonderful. Uh, but really, uh, you know, at the resurrection, where we'll need our bodies isn't in heaven so much as on the, the new earth. That's good. Amen. Excellent. Well, hey, it's been such an honor for to have you back on the show. I mean, super thrilled uh, to have uh, you back on and to discuss this topic. Uh, like I said, we will definitely invite other people who are of the pre-tribulation perspective to come on the show uh, just to prove that we're 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 uh, uh, like minded or interviewing of people of all different kinds of positions to speak of that we have tonight a calvinist coming on the show neither of us are reformed but we're going to have a blast tonight talking about reformed theology uh, i would love to just get everyone's closing thoughts just some thoughts from michael uh thoughts from dr keener on on just takeaways as people are walking away from this discussion what's something they need to study or read or to really consider as they're listening to our presentation today and just to remind you guys if you are watching this program right now uh, this moment, like live, we don't have the study guide up yet, but there is a study guide coming from Dawson. Uh, Dawson does all the research on the show. So almost every single episode that we come out with, uh, there's going to be a document uh, as a PDF file in the description of the video detailing uh, the in-depth study of any given topic. So whether it be uh, new heavens and new earth, whether it be the life of Martin Luther, he's done quite a bit of theological and or historical research on those. I'd really encourage you guys, lots of work has gone into those. 
videos. So if you haven't checked them out, start doing so. It would be helpful if you want to study more in depth as these are more just conversations. So Michael, let's, let's start with you. What are, what are some closing thoughts for you, man, as far as pre-trib rapture? Yeah. Well, uh, again, I think, first of all, whatever you believe about the end times, uh, if you believe in Jesus, you're my brother, you're my sister. Uh, we're truly just awaiting our blessed hope, the return of our Lord. Uh, second, though, I think that this subject can be so intimidating mm-hmm. that we can want to not talk about it. We can want to not study it. And so there's this fine line between end times obsession and end times avoidance. And the book of Revelation, chapter one, right at the very beginning, it pronounces a blessing mm-hmm. upon the person who reads these words aloud, hears them, and then keeps them. That's kind of hard to do if you're anti-end times. <laughs> and so uh, and so. I, I say this, I feel like I'm speaking to myself because, you know, the Lord had me preaching on Revelation this year and I was like, no, Lord, <laughs> I don't understand it. And there's so much about it. I don't understand. Hey, I'm a pastor. I feel like it's like your job's to understand the Bible, right? Well, uh, Revelation really confuses me. I'll be quite honest. And I've I've spent countless hours studying it. But uh, but man, it has been such a blessing doing so. And so I think that my my thing would be let's walk that fine line. Let's not avoid it like one of the plagues, <laughs> but let's also not be obsessed with it. Let's just, let's be obsessed with Jesus. And, mm-hmm. and at its core, the book of Revelation isn't primarily like revelation of plagues. It's a revelation of Jesus and his character. That's what you see setting the context in Revelation chapter one, this incredible son of God. Praise so. God. Dr. Keener, some, some thoughts from you, sir. Yeah, that's our blessed hope. The glorious appearing of our Lord Jesus. I can't wait to see him. Amen. And I, I long to see his, his reign. I long to see him make things right in this world. And so, again, whatever the details, that's our hope. We live for that hope. We live in light of eternity. So it's not, just the, not even just the passage about the second coming, but, you know, in terms of the renewing of your mind, uh, not thinking according to this age, Romans 12, 2. But thinking in light of what things are going to be like a, a billion years from now, um, how we can make a difference in this world in light of our Lord's glorious return. Amen. Amen. Hey, we just want to want to thank uh, again you, Dr. Keener, for coming on the show again, and thank everyone who is watching in the comment sections. Uh, slam uh, uh, RN. I see uh, Liberty and Justice. I see uh, Melissa in there. I just want to thank you guys. Y'all tune in almost every single time we do a live stream, and we've been doing a lot of them recently. So I just thank you for your viewership and the support that you guys give on the show. So I, I'd really encourage you guys make sure to hit the like button if you like the video, the dislike button twice if you dislike the video. Hit the subscribe button. Hey, look at that. We only got five dis five dislikes. five dislikes, and we started with four before even doing the show. <laughs> Dr. Keener, that's a compliment. That's pretty good. You only got one <laughs> legitimate dislike. Uh, uh, for, yeah, so and twenty. Three likes. Blessings to all of you who hold different <laughs> views in this, Amen. but but we're 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 going up together, uh, whatever the sequence is. Yeah, and and that's my final closing thought. I reserve the right to change my position on the rapture mid-flight. So if we're <laughs> if we're being caught up and we go early, I'll change my position on the way up. Okay, uh, it's not not an essential view as far as uh, Christian brotherhood is concerned. Uh, I would. Uh, eagerly have a pre-trip guy work at a church that I was pastoring. It really is on that level for me. Uh, you, you can do fellowship and ministry together and disagree about the rapture, in my opinion. 
Uh, but looking forward to uh, future conversations on eschatology as we're moving forward. Make sure to hit subscribe and we'll see you next time Monday night at 8.30 p.m. Subscribe, guys. Time. That was a, just a little bit early blackout. But that that's all. Be blessed. I do it again. Well- <laughs>